You're listening to Brain Fuzz, the arts, music, and culture podcast with Joe Kamusa and Matthew White. In today's episode, Joe and Matthew are joined by artist Madura Fry on site at one of her installations. They discuss her journey from painting and its impact in her current work. The use of mirrors, rock, and the unusual setting of Fry's youth are explored. For more information and links to resources on this episode, you can always find the show notes at brainfuzzpodcast.com. From the in plein air installation of 2023 in Whitespec, at Atlanta's White Space Gallery, Matthew begins the conversation by sharing the exhibition statement. Medora Fry mines the power of the landscape in her site-specific installations. In this exhibition, Fry returns to the land she grew up on and the defining feature of her family's home, a deep spring-fed pond in the cavity of a former granite quarry. Fry's direct interactions with the landscape is evidenced through photographs and videos. The resulting images often appear in her multi-sensory indoor installations alongside hefty piles of granite rock. Materials gathered on locations such as sun-bleached wood, bone, and stone are commingled with manufactured materials like mirrors and dichroic glass. In the gallery, the inactive quarries act as a backdrop to a video installation that projected in an on-raw canvas recalls the dips and crags of the landscape. The visual effect is fracturing and mesmerizing as Fry contends with the organic and the human-made. Fry sees her work as an extension of landscape painting. Plain air painters of the 19th century took their practice out of doors to gain a more direct experience of their subject. Similarly, Fry is on site responding to the sensory dimensions of the environment at a particular moment. In Plain Air offers an unfolding impression of the artist's experience and attachment to a familial site. Fry's exhibition embraces the intertwining of humans and nature and returns us to the artist's search for the sublime. So what you what we're hearing in the what we're hearing well well thought out. Some gravity. So we're hearing some we're hearing the audio in the background because we're sitting here at White Space in White Spec, small space, and we see these this installation of this work with the audio in the background. And being here the other day and just talking briefly with you, I I commented on the fact that this exhibition statement, my, my BS alarm did not go off at all. Oh, good. Yeah, I loved how, I just loved how it was straightforward, I think was the word that came to mind. I see it when I come in here and, and look at the work. Yeah, it's very refreshing, good. I think, in these times. We're always, obviously, ripping on, you know, artist statements, the good, bad, and the ugly, and um, so we had the privilege of hearing you speak, and and I'm just envious to see, whenever I see somebody can just stand up and just talk from the heart, and it was poetic, and it was honest, and it wasn't using all any buzzwords, and yet it was very informative, um, but I mean, we definitely want to try to unpack, how to get that one in there, some of these, because I mean, like, that was... Um, I mean, you hit on some subjects that I've been wrestling with for like 20 years. I mean, in terms of like taking on painting mm-hmm. and moving beyond painting. Um, so I certainly want to, hopefully we will touch on some of that in this wide-ranging conversation. But it's nice to be in here with the work 
and experience the sound. And I, again, I have to compliment you. It's one of the one of the best uses of this space. I mean, in terms of bringing in sound and light. But I think if I can start, I'm just curious. Like mirrors. It's, mirrors. And that's I think the yes. night of your show. I was like, tell me about the mirrors. But like, how? They're where, very addicting. The yes, mirrors. Yes. But where did where did that start? Or did, did you have a dream? What? Uh, um, gosh, when did I start using? I made, so I was making figurative paintings. Right. I studied painting at the New York Academy, got my master's degree from there, and um, had this rigorous two years of study where I was doing ecorche. We're actually building models of the human body layer by layer and the correct muscle mass dimensions. Um, and um, I was actually selling a decent amount of work and just didn't feel completely satisfied with that. Mm -hmm. And in another part of my life, I had done design work and I actually had designed some interiors for commercial application, like restaurants. Okay. And um, it's really hard to me to do something like that and not have it become part of you. And I think that the painting wasn't satisfying all these things that I had learned and like found that I really loved, like light, like and being able to determine someone's experience mm -hmm. by turning the dimmer down a little bit or, you know, shifting the light a little bit. Um, so I moved away from painting, but I did it secretly <laughs> in my studio. And I started making really abstract drawings with um, liquid graphite mm -hmm. and anything but a brush. So I was using hands, I was using, you know, just different materials to make sort of these reductive drawings. And then I had this idea to put light behind it. And then I had this idea of making it three-dimensional and integrating mirrors into this surface. And it started there, and then I began working outside in nature with these mirrors before I realized that um, Robert Smithson had actually used them in a similar way. And I feel when people bring him up to me, I'm like, yes, I love his work, but I swear, I only knew about no, the spiral jetty. No, I brought it up jetty. to you, and I felt bad, and I, did, cause I didn't mean it that way, but it's my way of stumbling through the world and trying to understand things. But um, incidents of mirror travel in the Yucatan is the piece. Yes. That Smithson did, and it. But what always struck me, and I see also a Sarah Z uh, relationship again in a good way. But um, the fact that the work was temporary, um, and you talk about these are usually you know you, you make them outside and they they get photographed and then they are uh, reconstituted or right. what have you. Um, and I found that fascinating. But like the the parallels, you know, obviously earthworks, temporal, um, and the mirrors. But the, then. When the way you tied that into, again, moving beyond painting, because I can imagine with that kind of curriculum, um, that exact, and also in the time of when it, everyone seemed, the, the cool art kids seemed to be going the other way, where it was like two-stroke painting, and mm -hmm. you're done, you know, the new casualist or whatever term you want to use. So, no wonder you um, probably got a little burned out on, uh, I mean, I love painting, but I can imagine how exacting, because you're, right. you're getting every wrinkle, every value change. And I loved it. I love to concentrate 
on something for a long time. It has to be the right thing. Yeah. But um, I spent anywhere from like four to six months on one painting. I believe it. And um, I think I got burned out because I had such control over the materials by the time I, I was burning out because I knew what it was going to look like in the end. And um, once you got in there and you problem solved, which was paintings always started very quickly for me. Okay. Just lay everything in. And then the part that took so long is when you're starting to represent space or form, but it doesn't translate exactly from this dimension to 2D. And so you have to invent and figure out how does that, you know, how does that work exactly? Right. So I did get burnt out on that, but it was interesting because a few studio visits that I had, this is in like 2010, people would come over to see my figurative work and I'd be like, should I pull this other stuff out? Okay, I'm gonna do it. And I'd pull out this really abstract sculptural work, silent. They just were completely silent. They just were like not knowing what to do with it at mm. all. So it took me actually some time to make the decision to leave that figurative work behind because I was selling paintings. Sure. And, um, That's very brave. Yeah. I have hardly any of those works left. Um, but stepping into the rest of the art world outside of that dogmatic, you yeah. know, part of the art world where people actually, artists think of it almost as a morality thing. Yes. Like if you're not yeah. making this kind of art, you're not really making art because yeah. it's not hard enough. Um, I had to sort of start over completely and make new friends. It's like going to AA. <laughs> I was like, I have to make a completely new set of friends and integrate myself into this new part of the art world that before I had nothing in common with. Um, we but, always laugh at that, like, you know, in terms of it's supposed to be art and create, you know, creatives and free and follow your muse and yet just like anything else there's that stay in your lane you apply for grad school it's give us 20 you know 20 images and it needs to be a you know tight body of work and you're thinking but what are we purporting to train um, I mean obviously you can't just be like this crazy schizophrenic no. practice uh, but to actually continue to grow uh, so again hearing your uh, artist talk here a couple weeks ago that just was like such a good shot in the arm because I mean anyone that's been doing this for an amount of time and has a studio practice is is wrestling with trying to move on and get better or you know and uh, and I think it requires sometimes leaving things that are near and dear to you behind tools techniques uh, artists that inspire you I mean I don't uh, Amy Silman is a huge hero of mine but I remember when I read um, Abex and Disco Balls, mm -hmm. which was a breakup letter, in you know, humorous breakup letter, I think it was an art form, with her an abstraction, but specifically New York male 50s painting. And uh, at the time, it kind of hit home, you know, because I'm thinking, I've got to kind of adapt and get away from something that I really love, but, like, but there's no future in just doing the same right. thing over and over again. Uh, I feel like you have to just adjust it in a certain range of degrees or people Sure, but are to continue to evolve. But it is amazing, though, I think that there's such pressure, like you're talking about a studio visit and people just like, oh, no, but you you know, you know, make this. We want to see 
Right. And you continue and suck it up it's feeding you, that's great. But Yeah. Um, I think that that train of thought is just, you know, comes from capitalism. You know, people wanting to have a product that they expect from you, like a dealer. If you show up, I had a show with the same gallery twice and my second body of work moved into more abstract gestural, but still figurative, and they were kind of freaked out by it because they didn't expect it. So how do you respond to that? I have heard uh, others tell us that, you know, if you're not consistent in your output in terms of the aesthetic, let's just say, right, uh, then that freaks the galleries out because they're like, I know how to sell this thing over here, but I don't know how to sell that. And the struggle that I see with that is galleries should be the one encouraging the growth. Right. And, you know, maybe that is, as you say, a, a, a capital issue. I mean, I can't figure out. It's it's a merchandising issue, in my yeah. opinion, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Well, I think you're right, because, I mean, having chatted with various curators, you know, a lot of times the, just the shows they're putting out doesn't necessarily mean, obviously, that they, they like the work. You know? I mean, that that's I think we assume, or maybe I'm naive, and sometimes you assume, like, oh, you know, someone's like... I know what they like, but maybe they're also trying to... Well, we were talking, just to touch on earlier in the pre-show, in, in the prep, um, I think some of the best curators that we've known are those that you don't know. Do they really like it? Do they not like it? But then we know others who I think like everything they show. They feel that they have to like yeah. everything instead of saying... This is the theme of the show. These are the different perspectives I'm exhibiting. Yeah. So the other interesting point here, I think, is um, we were you, you you mentioned earlier different arts communities. Like yes. you think of oh, the arts, and you think, okay, well, this is my group, and mm -hmm. it's very tribal in that regard. Mm -hmm. But when you mention commercial spaces and design, mm -hmm. okay. You know, those are immersive experiences intended to, um, what's the word? Seduce. Seduce in many cases, yeah. yes. Uh, to, to, to get some sort of uh, impact on a visitor. Where's the line? Because with an installation, I see how you jump from there to there, but is it, is it in the, in the uh, conceptual rigor of it? Or where, where do you find that line and where are you comfortable? As far as the seductiveness of something, okay, yeah, that is a fine line. It's a, it's a because the work I'm trying to talk about natural and organic, yeah, coexisting with you know the human made. I really try not to allow the work to be too slick, you know, and also when you're using video projections, because it's got the aspect of technology, and you have the phenomena of projected light already. Right. Um, I think you have to, or for me, I have to add elements like the hand-cut canvas. I feel like when I step back, I want more handmade elements combined with these things that are, I think of the projection as kind of transcendent. You know, it's light. To me, there's a spirituality to it combined with the technology. Mm -hmm. But the rocks, the rocks always feel really necessary in my work. 
these days because yeah. they add that um, that physicality um, and that sense of time uh, and immortality, you know, whereas these projections feel really ephemeral yeah. and you, you hit a button and the piece disappears, you know, the pieces fall apart without the projections on them or the lights on them. I use a lot of light behind things, you know, neon. Um, for some of the works that I make in the studio, I guess they're considered off-site. So these would be like the videos I'm taking from and on location, I guess, or on-site. Or if I'm doing temporary arrangements in the landscape, those would be on-site. Which is something Smithson was doing. Yeah. Um, but we were talking about mirrors, and also I feel like there's something... Um, there's a part of my work that I feel is connected to this kind of female southern sensibility of beauty and it's like sparkly. What? <laughs> I'm very attracted to the sparkly sort of sensibility and I, I think that it's connected to being brought up by a southern lady that's still living in the town that she grew up in, you know, and... Um, and we heard some of that story, but share it. The quarry my dad bought in the late 60s, he was from California and his family um, started part of their business, a manufacturing plant in Conyers. And it was just a small cow town, you know, probably felt very, it felt very rural when I was growing up. And um, like I grew up on Highway 138 and my mailbox was Route 1 we were on the Route 1 mailbox delivery. Oh, wow. um, but uh, yeah, so he bought this property, which I think is just wild. He's like, I'm gonna buy this quarry. <laughs> and it had, um, they had been pumping the water out while they were still mining for granite. And um, he decided to just allow it to fill up and it became a quarry lake. And wow. he bought 100 acres out there. So, and he's not particularly social, so it's like his kingdom. <laughs> like, I didn't grow up with a lot of people coming over when I was younger. And, good good um, traits for an artist. Yeah. To be able to put the hours in. Yeah. Solitary. So, he was um, very territorial, still is. Um, he's kind of got some ideas about making it a, na a nature preserve later. But I feel like it takes a very particular person to buy a piece of property like that kind of in the middle of no at the time it was the middle of nowhere um, oh I, yeah I'm in awe of that kind of uh, that sounds like an adult you know as I'm still thinking I should technically I'm an adult I'm like wow to have that kind of oh yeah yeah uh, certainty yeah but you also have to be cool with just being alone because yeah. there was nothing around us yeah. and um, the trick-or-treating was not fun <laughs> they had to like yeah there's seven kids in my family and they had to load the entire family up and we had to drive miles and miles to a neighborhood yeah <laughs> wow so um but yeah so it was it was kind of interesting leaving for 16 years and living in new york for a long time and then coming back and recognizing wow this is amazing i just took it for granted as a kid because that that's what i knew yeah. and um and it took me an even longer time to recognize that, oh, wow, this, 
this beautiful place that I always thought of as a natural place, that was my my idea of natural beauty, is actually the result of violence to yes. the land yeah. and the earth. Yeah. And, you know, there were explosions there every day. You can see the, mm -hmm. the holes drilled in the rock yeah. where they would put the dynamite and blow the rock off the cliffs. And um, So I guess it was mine for about a year and a half. And then a neighboring inactive quarry is Arabia Mountain. And it's a big park where people, people of all kinds go now. But when I was in high school, it was really just like where the witches hung out. And huh. the high school kids would go and drink um, Boone's Farm. Boone's Farm, yeah. Oh, but now I go there and I hike and I'm like, this place is gorgeous, you know? It's like walking on the moon, but it's a very particular type of um, geological formation that's particular yeah. to this area. I don't even think there's that many in the country. It's, it's part of the same like feature Mountain. as Stone Mountain and then Panola Mountain also, so... But yeah, so I mostly have been making my work about those places, and um, Arabia Mountain is nice because I can go there by myself and work, but I can still see other people, so I'm not really isolated, but I am, I have this sense of being isolated, but in a sense of safety. Um, so when I go out and do site-specific work, I do, I do typically take someone with me. What was the story with the witches, by the way? You know, there were just incidences where people, like, when I was in high school, everybody would be drinking or whatever, and um, these kids in our group had gone off, mm -hmm. you know, and it's dark, mm -hmm. and um, come back. They looked so terrified because they had seen a coven of witches in the oh. woods burning a fire and, you know, doing some kind of ceremony. I mean... This is pre-Blair Witch. That right? is pre-Blair Witch. <laughs> wow. To, okay. date, to date myself. Hey, look. You're amongst friends, don't worry. <laughs> Pre-Blair Witch. Um, so... But I also... So, um, I also like to dissect my work in terms of what appeals to me aesthetically and where that comes from and I feel like my sensibility comes from the place where I grew up where it's this I don't know you know when something's finished right when you're working on something you're like this needs more you know hard angles or this needs like a little more organic stuff going on in it um, to have the right balance and I feel like that has come out of my upbringing and that Well, kind and of I think place. the rigorous painting, uh, you know, instruction, education you had, because I mean, when I look at this work, the amount of angles and the lovely juxtapositions of texture, I mean, with the cut canvas, and it just, you know, it looks very rock-like, and I've, I've had the uh, privilege of seeing your exhibition at Georgia State a few years back which legend has it they were eight tons of granite. Yes. Uh, a whole a lot of labor. Really, really? Yes. Eight tons? There were eight tons, and we had, um, there were four students helping, plus a guy that worked with me, Trey Rozell. And um, we had to do a lot of engineering to get the material into the building in a sensible way because it was really lucky it was during the pandemic because 
And on the ground floor. <laughs> and on the ground floor, but um, the direct gallery director had originally wanted me to bring materials through the maze of hallways that come through the ceramics area, and I said, why can't we just pull up to those front doors? Yeah, that's the shortest. But she ended up allowing us to, what we figured out was renting a really small little trailer, like open trailer. I got a hitch put on my station wagon, and we would go get rocks from the rock yard and wash them off, and we would bring them in in this, it was like a giant wagon. So we would unload them off, you know, the pickup truck also that we were using. Wow. And um, it was really a brutal installation. And so that makes me add labor into my materials right. sometimes. Well, and transmissions. Mm -hmm. Transmission replacement and uh, yeah. lower, lower back issues. Oh, my body yeah. is different. My body has changed. Yeah, that was because an epic amount work. of work. I mean, to see that because you, know, you walk, there's no sense of like, oh, it's paper mache. No, you instantly know like that's. We know eight tons of paper mache it would still be. That well, would be eight tons. Be, yeah, that's true. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so yeah, there's a moment at some point where that orders on performance, right? So, yes, and um, I feel like I'm always trying to get to that point when I'm writing about my work mm -hmm. and how do I how do I get everything in there because I do feel like I'm, I am performing but I'm not recording it. So the evidence of my performance is here as an artifact um, but I feel like people would probably be more entertained if they literally saw me making stuff. I wonder though. Cause I don't. I don't like that personally for myself because I'm a little um, shy about that kind of thing. But I, I like the sense of wonder when you go and say, "How did that get here?" As a as a viewer. Uh, yeah, know? I mean, like I I like to dig through you know an artist's monograph or you know and, and somehow sometimes hear the secrets of oh that's how you made that mark or whatever. You see the tools they're using, but. There's also something about the romance of not giving it all away. I mean, again, I don't have like amazing secrets of, or techniques that I'm working with, but I even I'm over the years just realized like you gotta keep some some kind of romance in, in there. Yeah. And let the work speak for itself. But uh, I also feel like it depends on what it's about. So sometimes I feel like I want the work to be about the actual time that I spent in a place um, instead of like with the interior installations. It, it is like a little impression, or it's an impression, and I do allude to impressionistic painting with these reflective um, uh -huh. tiles that are breaking the scene down with color, like little bits of color. And um, yeah, How much do you plan on the interaction between pieces in an installation like this? The whole thing. And, and this is also something, so I can do a mock-up in my studio, yeah. a rough mock-up, but when I come into a space, it changes sure. because yeah. just even how you enter this room, like what part of the gallery that you enter from, affects how you experience it. Like, my first instinct was to have the installation in this this corner, uh -huh. the one across the room, right. and then I realized, oh, you know what, I would rather someone have some curious thing that draws them in here and then they discover that. So it's 
literally walking through a painting to me. Yeah. You're determining how, like, what order someone experiences a space or images or um, textures or whatever. Um, and the flow tends to be really similar when people enter this space. Um, and then also I do think about what do you see from from most of the vantage points? Mm -hmm. Like what are you taking in? So I do take a lot of photos when I'm setting up because I want to I want to see like what are the sweet spots here? Do I need to create a sweet spot over here? You know, just like when you're painting, do I need to add some contrast right. like in this area? This just like it's I mean it blows my mind because it's. I, I think of like what it must be like to be like a director. I mean, a really good director in a film, like to be able to balance so many different lighting, cinematography, set design. I mean, like you're doing all of that, and it's like again, you're taking your paintings and literally like animating them. I mean, they're literally as you're shifting space and all of that. And I guess that's why, like, I'm thinking of like when I see Sarah Z, for instance, those installations, there's a similar type of thing. It just it blows my mind because it's like, forget being a rectangle on the wall. Um, hey, do you know the artist Katarina Gross? Yeah. She, um, it just occurred to me, like she's someone that I feel like she is creating a painting that you can walk into and around and move through the space. And that's really appealing to me. It's, I mean, it's liberating. Obviously, it's a ton of work, as you're showing. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I moved eight tons of rock. <laughs> but, um... Well, I only have three here. <laughs> in this, I did have a... I did... I was in a show at um, Mocha GA, and I thought it was really funny. And they thought it was funny, too, that they ro they packaged one of the rocks, and they were handling it with white gloves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you familiar with Riff again at all? No. No? Okay. It's not a date rape drug. Yeah. It sounds it. Wait, did you say Rifican? No. Rif oh. No, that sounds like medication. Is that medication? Rifican. <laughs> uh, Rifican Anadol. Um, oh, Rifican Anadol. What is that? Well, it's yeah, Art Crush at the moment. No, oh, okay. It, no, I'm not going to, I wouldn't say Art Crush, but to follow up on a discussion that we had last, last say episode. Say it more slowly. Rifican Anadol. Okay, I have seen uh, uh, At MoMA, oh, there's a okay. show right now. Oh, yes, I know, video. Since we discussed this, his work was on display at the Grammys. Really? In the background. Oh, wow. Okay, so they're doing their Grammy thing, and then behind that, you know, the backdrop mm -hmm. is graphic Anadol work. Okay, so... I think you know where I'm going with this. When mm -hmm. you're creating an environment, like a commercial kind of thing, um, okay, it's background. In right. this case, it was background. Mm -hmm. But then as I'm just kind of scrolling through social, I'm seeing how people are responding to it. It's, oh, it's great to see this work at the... And I didn't see how it was presented. I didn't know if this said behind us, the work of... I don't think they did. I think it was backdrop. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was a weird... Weird thing, you know, are we moving that way, you think, to where art's just kind of a thing that's in the background because there's so much else going on? I feel like art is always kind of on the side when people collect it anyway. They're still putting it over their couch. And they're still, <laughs> you know, yeah, and true. you know what? If you're not making something that goes over a couch, are you selling stuff? Like, 
Or, well, that's the conundrum to get back to capitalism, right? I right. mean, you've got to sell stuff in order to sustain a but practice. I, I but I always think of like Rothko and the Seagram's murals, you know, and it's like, and of course, in his mental state towards that, you know, it famously just says, you know, the hell with this, you can't have them, <laughs> and then reneges on the deal. But uh, I don't want, you know, rich people eating, looking at my work. Tell, um, me, that, tell me that story. Uh, he was commissioned to do uh, a, a bunch of, you know, mural-sized paintings for, you know, this restaurant in, in the heart of capitalist, you know, America, New York City. And I think as the process went on and on, he just decided, like, no, I don't want these, you know, bourgeois folks eating their, you know, I don't want them for, I have to adjust for inflation, you know, the price of, like, a steak and a martini, but... Um, uh, I'm not sure if those some of those paintings either went to Harvard or some of those I can't imagine any of those went to the Rothko Chapel, but it's like that kind of in that style and hue, like very meditative and very yeah. dark. Um, but again, as we're talking about, like, are you making something that is part commodity or luxury good? You know, and like you said. You know, name your name your favorite artist. It could still be like sofa art, as they love to say. You know, like because mm -hmm. you're right. Are you living with art? Well, where is it in your house? You know, unless you have a giant Brant-like home where you have a you know an exhibition space out back with a five thousand dollar chair to look at the uh, the work. I mean, you kind of have to live with the. Uh, I mean, the work. I mean, where all... would you put this? You'd have to have a room in your home to devote. To peace. Well, it's kind of like, the... but that's why like Storm King or Dia. I mean, like there yeah. are those types of places, but I'm sure there. I mean, I'm but thinking. See, even... then they have to change the exhibitions out. And they some have to have some a control. Some of Dia is permanent. Do they have some dark spaces in there? In the basement. Okay. Well, yeah, oh, that's yeah, right. They got they a lot. Yeah. But uh, but I'm even thinking of some some collectors here in town that um, have devoted you know like whole rooms just just to art. Really? Um, yeah. Okay. I, um, well, also, I feel like, um, so when you do work in installation and learning, you don't leave it set up. So when I do have a show, I have to work really hard to get people in and engage with them when the show is up because this will all be collapsed and right. put in my garage, you know? And then all you have is pictures. All I have are so I spend a lot of time documenting yeah. with video. Yeah. Video's been the best way, but then I also have to have stills. Yeah. Well, you break it down, so you break it down, and it ends up in a box somewhere, in boxes somewhere, mm -hmm. and then you maybe try to sell the idea of it later. That's yeah. So one one of the things that I'm working towards is actually being able to have other people install my work. <laughs> Because that is really tricky because I love to do it and it is so site specific that um, that's the next step. It's like Saul LeWitt. Yes. But it sounds like you'd still, you would still need to be, like you said, like kind of looking around for the sweet spots and like that final right. engineering. But you're right to be able to have like a team of assistants yep. that could come in and schlep the eight tons of granite and paper mache. But once you've done it, once you have done this a few times, it does go much faster. Oh, you can sure. anticipate the issues. Like, part of why I bought my own projector is because I can just actually with. stick a USB stick mm -hmm. in there and it plays. You know, or actually, this this um, projector you can actually store the video on there, um, which cuts down on a lot of. You can just 
click a button and have it turn on. Whereas other projectors I've used, you have to have a separate media player, right. and so whoever's running the gallery has to turn that on, and oh, it. it's just oh. the technology aspect of it is um, daunting, can be daunting for people to sure. show. And if you want your work, you know, you have a specific vision for it, you obviously have to make it uh, as bulletproof as possible. That because you know it will get screwed up, or you'll walk right. in, you know, and the painting will be hanging upside down. You're like, no, no, it's you sure? Right. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's. So. Yeah. But and isn't it interesting also when you think about like you know the, the conception of an artist is usually just you know flighty and you know drinking wine and getting high every day and yet you, the, the disciplines that you have to I mean, just logistics, uh, setting up, uh, planning, and look at all the skills you've had to amass. To get yes. to this point. So I mean, again, I, I, I think the, the painting is still with you. All of that was not for naught, of course. I know you know that, but um, it definitely taught me discipline. And um, artists are the hardest working people I know. And as as the artist in my family, I constantly am getting the label of like the black sheep, the flighty one, and I'm very organized. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously it, it shows. You yeah, know. you have to be really organized with this kind of work. And um, I've never been a messy studio person. Like, yeah, I mean, you know. I'm just not a messy studio person. It's like I've got stuff. Stuff has to be put away. I have issues with having a lot of stuff around me. It makes so, it so I can't see. All right, that brings us to a, a topic here. Okay. You've got to store a lot of found objects and then revisit them, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got some sort of storage system for, I'm going to save this because one day it's going to come up. But how do you manage that? Um, I have a garage that drives my my um, neighbors crazy because I live in a townhouse. Oh boy. I have a I have a sculpture that was at Woodruff Park, an outdoor sculpture that was 20 feet high or 16 feet high. Wow. And it's in pieces and it's gold and it's in my backyard and you can see it poking up above the fence. That's great. So yeah, so I do have storage, but a lot of these materials end up getting incorporated into the next piece. So I reuse, I have a closet of plexiglass mirrors. I probably have. I mean, I have a space that half the size of this full of like all kinds of mirrors and plexiglass and... Uh, I'm having like, like you, like I can't have much in my purview. It just yeah. makes me crazy. So storage wise, like, you know, as, and, and I don't, compared to you, like it's, my storage issues are laughable, but <laughs> paintings can pile up if you're not careful. And, um, oh yeah. It's just, and I keep thinking, you know, I wish I had another... It's that classic New York argument, like, oh, I wish I had a dream, I had a whole other room in the apartment, and you know, and it's like, you gotta make do, and, uh, and I just think back to like, I'm sure, like, what was, how big was your studio in grad school? You know, like, you think of the work. You... My studio in grad school was the size of this, because we were actually making paintings in class for models, so. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah. This, for, for the listener, being what? What is it, maybe 10 Five by, by 10? 8? 8 by 8? 8 by 10? Yeah. 6 by 8? Something like that. It's very we'll small. We'll actually measure it and put it in the show notes. Just to, uh, yeah. We'll do a CAD drawing. We'll do a CAD drawing of this. On the personal front, Madora also shared some exciting news during the afternoon together.
For the listener. Yes. Medora just got married. I just got married. <laughs> <laughs> on the way here. On the way here, actually. What, a week and a half ago? A week said? and a half ago, A week yeah. and a half ago. And you did it. It was not spur of the moment, but it was, I mean, there was some planning. Was there like a card right? game involved? or? <laughs> yeah. And there was a bet. No. Um, and so you go and, and it's a, you say a group ceremony. Yes. Whoever shows up gets married that day. And the audience is made up of? Actually, a lot of people didn't bring anyone with them. We didn't bring anyone with yeah. us. And so we actually were all taking photos for each other. <laughs> and um, it was quite sweet. It was just really lovely. What's and it to break up or break down from now? <laughs> to distance oneself from like the industrial wedding complex? Oh, you yeah. know, like, yeah. Oh my God! I mean, it could be a great day, but man, the amount of planning, planning and logistics is. Um, and then it's over. That so. right there sounds so freaking unfun to me to yeah. have to be worried about coordinating things and spending the money. I would rather put money down on a house, you know. It's getting just, that sculpture moved. Yeah, getting the sculpture moved. <laughs> I know it's funny. It's funny how you will allocate certain money you think is like. Okay, that's, that's a good way versus, to spend yeah. that, but not. I'm not buying the two thousand dollar wedding dress, you know. I'm gonna hold China. off for the moving sale on the seats, by the way. <laughs> I am swoop in at the last minute. I don't want hear, hear you moving. <laughs> oh. I know we're still we're still deciding about that, but um, I have a great he my partner. I think. One of the reasons why I decided I was ready to get married is because he's such a great collaborator with me. I mean, he comes and helps me set up and I can say, does this look stupid? And he'll be like, I think maybe you can move it over a little bit. That's fantastic. Though. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. Now, how critical are you willing to, because you, you don't want a cheerleader. But at the same time... No, he's good. You know what? He's a good, um, what do they call it? Like editor? Soft lead up. Uh, <laughs> really? Gentle lead up to something. Uh, okay, so it's more about the presentation. He likes to criticism. sandwich it. His sandwiches it. There's something nice well, at the great. beginning. But... And then there's like, you could do this. And then there's the nice thing event. Diplomatic. <laughs> it's a talent. It's a, it is oh, a talent, yeah. I have him proof a lot of emails for me because I'm a more like, and I don't mind when people are really direct with me, but I have the understanding, come to understand that I can be very direct in a way that people are kind of like, this is too dry. <laughs> They're not used to it. Well, They're not ready for it when I'm just like, you know, I need the facts here. Just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it and I'll put it on my calendar. Need to make that sound a little more charming. Links to resources on topics discussed here can be found at brainfuzzpodcast.com. And be sure to follow Brain Fuzz Podcast on Instagram. It's 100% authentic, organic, and generally bot free. Now, back to the fuzz. One really wonderful thing um, that I felt at the opening of this show, and my partner was sort of, he's good at being quiet and observing. 
he said people spent a very long time in this space, which to me, I always thought about giving someone something that had a lot of layers to engage with. You know, you have the certain initial encounter and then you give them, I want to give them something else to dig into and well, spend more it, time with. You, we started off talking about seduction, and I think, and that was a very cold night, for instance. Yeah. And this is a, yeah, a, a lovely space, but it can be a challenging space in terms of, and I think between sound was obviously very important, but this was like almost uh, a refuge, you know? There was a wonderful opening on the other, you know, in, in white space, 50 yards from here, and then you come in here and it's, it's warm, and the light, I mean, the light, you're transported. That's good. You know, I like I mean, like, that. at least I was, you know, and I, obviously if people were spending time with it, because how many times you're in a museum or a gallery and there's, especially, I'll speak for myself, like video work, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, right, I gotta look at the wall, like how long am I supposed to stay here? And when there's like one bench or none, That's and right, you're right. like 25 minutes on a loop, and I'm like, some days yeah. I can do it, some days I'm like, no. Can okay. I watch this at home? So I was thinking that exact thing, Joe. Two points. First of all, that's the, the Theaster Gates piece at uh, New Museum um, on, on the recent trip, uh, Brain Fuzz Excursion. Good seating. Excellent seating. Remember that? Did they have good seating? Oh, they had great seating. Did they really? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, but that was one where oh, it was so engaging that I had to stay for the beginning. And, then, and you were, you were, I'm going to out you on this one. You, oh, go were, ahead. you were not feeling on the way in. You're like, I'm not, I, why are we going here? But we were in the neighborhood. No. Uh, yeah, and that, and just, I bought the book, you know, bought the book, walked out, bought the book. Um, but I wonder about that when you talk about people spending time with the work in here is, okay, how, how important is it to you that someone see a whole cycle of this video? Or do you, do you care? I'm kind of, I don't care that much, but I do not, I think I'm more worried about showing them something too long. <laughs> really? Yeah, I feel like that's an imposition. Do you do you mention the time? Anywhere? I think this is only maybe seven minutes. But it's not on the... Oh, yeah, I didn't do that. Yeah. We cut... So, actually, I should say, these videos were shot on an iPhone. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I filmed them or videoed them, they were not meant for anything except sure. just... That's great. Whatever. I, I just first, I guess, just to keep around and so when I did get this project or I was invited to do this I started just digging through footage and it only takes me I have so much footage because I am obsessed with these places it took me maybe I don't know an hour to find the imagery because I remembered oh yeah there was that woman dancing on the mountain wearing headphones I feel like she was doing drugs, but it was did you, so beautiful. Did, they, did, you, like, did you like get a release or anything? Oh no, you can't tell anything about her. People keep asking me. No, I'm just me. curious. I just am curious these days. You know like, what? She was so far away from me. I zoomed in on her, but she was probably from here to the belt line. She was uh, really, really well, far. She's, she's in public. It's, it's no, she's I know. I just am curious in an age of you know. I don't know. Dan Arbus. That's a great question. What? Um. That is an interesting question. I feel like if you could recognize her, um, that would be a different story. But like some of the people that are jumping off rocks, I did 
write to them and ask, you know, can oh, I okay, use okay. this? I want you to see this footage. Well, now this woman, you've accused her of uh, being a drug user. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't even know if she was wearing headphones. That's the thing. Like, there was no music that I could hear. She hears the, the music. Yes, don't you hearing hear? the music. But I loved it because she was just vibing out. And I feel like an aspect of this work is propaganda for people to go outside to these kind of spaces and take them in, take what you can from them, um, take the spirituality, like take your time for yourself and engage in these smaller moments while you're out there. And they're right here. These kind of spaces are all around us as Atlantans. This is a city in the forest. And, um, and they're everywhere. It's accessible to us in a way that when I lived in New York, I just, yeah. I never had a minute to myself, I didn't feel like. It just, it was, you're constantly looking over your shoulder, so you can't, even if you were alone in a space, you would still be like, what's that? Yeah. You know, a little bit. The, the one word that comes to mind though in here is uh, immersive. You know, like a lot of video work, it's usually like one wall or two, and nothing against that. I mean, but uh, you know, the way you're able to just bounce and activate all of the walls, um, it's very masterful. I mean, I'm, I'm very impressed. Um, so I could see why people would would stay and linger. Because you don't feel like, okay, how long is this? Well, also, this is a good um, place to drink. <laughs> like, at the opening, this is, like, a decent yeah. place to have cocktails yeah. instead of in the brighter lit gallery over there. You know? This is a really difficult room, and I like the way that you work with them. That was my first impression when I came in. Mirror's help, I guess. Well, yeah, as, as the mirror. But to back to go back to the mirrors. The mirrors are a symbol of spirituality too, and portals to other universes. I love all the symbolism. Sure. I love that they begin as natural materials, and you know, sand That's is true. creating these things. And the first mirrors would have cost like the price of a plot of land. There's so many things about mirrors. It's also the ability to create patterns. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the Quicker symmetry, the, the, the uncanny patterning that happens because you have the symmetry in nature, right? But when it's exactly perfect, it's kind of unnerving to me in a way. Um, well, I think it's commendable to, you know, in this day and age um, to be working with beauty, because in a lot of the cool art world, that's you know the most uncool thing, which I think is just absolute garbage. You know, well, the world think, needs we need more beauty in our days. I think we would be a better. This world needs it right now. It needs a always, it needs a moment to meditate, a moment to um, appreciate beauty. We need it. Well, it's it's um, it's not necessarily intended to be but i think it's an optimistic work and um that these spaces where i am making this work and making it about the work the the park spaces and like my parents property people have recognized the value of the land 
and they are preserving it. They're stepping in, they're intervening, they're preserving the land, they're making sure that it's open to all kinds of people. Yeah. So I feel like that's an optimistic take on the opposite of what's happening in other parts sure. of the world mm-hmm. where there is so much abuse of the land. Well, as we're talking, it's February and it's unseasonally cold today and windy and we're seeing this beautiful light. So I'm wondering, like, as far as the time of day, do you tend to stick to a certain, you know, window of time to film? This seems like the light seems pretty even here. It's not like we're not seeing morning and then end of day or? It's just a lot. It's really not. It's very loosely chosen. Um, I tend to like to shoot more of the plant life at the end of the day in the mountain in the sunset like sunset time but the other work that you see is just you know people swimming and hanging out and it it's not so planned i feel like that's where introducing all these surfaces it's very it's a very analog way to make it more complex you know i could do something similar on a computer right and come up with an image that has a lot of the characteristics that this work has um but i love that it's actually just like i'm gonna stick a mirror here and then i'm gonna stick a rock over here it's very physical and just basic but it's kind of trippy um, <laughs> to stand in there to me someone said at the talk the other day why is it so sci-fi and i thought Actually, I don't think it's sci-fi. I think it's a little bit more in the psychedelic range, which is, I'm really wanting someone to get a transcendent quality. Well, I'll buy some mushrooms and come in here and spend a week, (laughs) and then I will write about it. I'll come with you. Um, (laughs) Hey, thank you, Medora, for your time today. We have enjoyed this. It's a pleasure. If, If one wanted to find out more, where would they go, Medora? They can find me on Instagram at my name, Medora Fry, F-R-E-Y, or they can go to my website, which is MedoraFry.com, M-A-D-O-R-A-F-R-E-Y. Is merch available there? Get some merch? <laughs> Medora I don't have merch. anything officially for sale, okay. but I do take commissions. All right. So. All right. Well, and let us know about the moving sale whenever that is, all right? Okay. All right. I also want to thank... Um, Susan and Kelsey, both at, at uh, White Space, an Atlanta institution. Can, can we say institution? It's an institution. That's going to make Susan giggle. Will it really? I think so. When, I've, like said, when I've, I've said that she was like the foundation of the art community here, she's like... <gasps> Find show notes and links at brainfuzzpodcast.com. Engage in the dialogue via Instagram at BrainFuzzPodcast or hashtag anywhere on social with BrainFuzzPodcast. AI support provided by Play.ht and Melabytes. Thanks to our listeners, our donors, patrons, partners, communities, supporters and stakeholders everywhere.